we can face tomorrow because he lives. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you today that we can have a confidence, a hope, Lord, that comes into our hearts and fills us today to the fullest extent because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And Lord, we thank you today that as we gather together as the body of Christ and worship in this sanctuary, Lord, that we know that you are with us. Father, you have said in your word that you would walk among the lampstands, Father, and we are the light of the world. And so, Father, we proclaim today our love for you. Lord, help us to worship and glorify your name today. Father, I pray that hearts would be encouraged and that lives would be changed in this time as we gather together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We want to welcome you to Black's Creek this Sunday morning. We're so thankful that you're here with us. And uh, we are uh, glad to see you in the Lord's house today. There are a few special announcements I want to remind you of, some of which are in your bulletin. Uh, our Bod for God class continues to meet on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. We invite you to come and participate in that area with us. Uh, we have a new BC Friends Sunday School class that will start next Sunday morning. And if you're not currently participating in an adult Sunday school class, we would be glad to have you. Wendy will be teaching that class starting next Sunday morning. Uh, our youth are going to be uh, going to summer camp this summer uh, to Super Wow, and there's some information in the bulletin about that. And if you would like to maybe sponsor a meal while the students are tra uh, traveling, uh, we're going to go to Fort Walton Beach this summer uh, for summer camp, and so they're looking forward to that. By the way, next Sunday morning is Youth Sunday, and Mason's going to share a few words about that. So uh, like Pastor Chan said, uh, next Sunday is Youth Sunday, and that's uh, really the one Sunday a year where we get to come, uh, the youth group, as, as a group, and come and talk about what we do on Wednesday nights and the ministry that we have to middle and high school students. So um, we'll have a special service. Uh, some of our students are going to speak. Uh, some of our students are going to play instruments. And it'll really be a great time to worship and, and to be here to glorify God. And I hope you guys all can attend. Uh, we're going to have a meal for the church after uh, service, and, and we're going to stay here, and the youth group's going to prepare the meal. So not only will you uh, see how we're doing as Christians, but you'll see how we're doing as cooks. So uh, <laughs> I hope you guys can all come and enjoy that and be a part of it. <laughs> all right. So plan to stay for lunch following the service next Sunday morning. And uh, next Sunday night, Colton Thornton will be preaching uh, next Sunday night. Uh, I'll be uh, out of town heading to Atlanta next Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, uh, for a North American Mission Board replant training. And so Colton's going to come and preach for us uh, that Sunday night also. And uh, the senior adults, we've got some activities planned for you. We have our regular worship service on Wednesday at 11 a.m. for anybody that wants to come. Uh, but this week, Miss Phyllis uh, has suggested we play some bingo after lunch on Wednesday. And so if you'd like to come and participate uh, in lunch on Wednesday after the morning worship, we're also going to have some bingo on Wednesday also. Okay? All right. Any other special announcements? Isn't it great to be in the Lord's house today? Let's continue with worship this morning. But before we do that, we need to take the offering, don't we? Ushers, would you come forward and help us with the offering this morning? Amen. George Rutledge, would you ask the blessing on our offering? Amen.
for this morning. I don't know if you guys have realized it, but Jamie's out this morning. And uh, he's uh, filling in this morning and doing a really good job. Give him another round of applause. Let's all sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
while the choir comes down. the door and we're privileged to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and to bring our petitions known uh, make them known to him and we're thankful today uh, that we can also say God has answered prayer amen it's good to see Miss Elizabeth back with us this morning we've been praying for Miss Elizabeth for several months now after breaking her hip good to have her with us today good to have Miss Wendy in the sanctuary with us she's been working her way back on Sunday mornings for Sunday school and uh, today with us on on, uh, worship also. And so we praise the Lord for that. He is worthy of our praise. And uh, you may know special concerns or needs that you have on your heart this morning. Would you lift them up in prayer as we pray together? And let me remind you, if you'd like to add something to the prayer list, uh, you can use the connection card at the welcome table to do so. Brother Jay Tucker, our chairman of deacons, is going to come and lead us in prayer at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you today, Lord, we just, uh, just, to, just to think about you, Lord, and how great you are, Lord, and just to think about that we say we trust you so many times, and Lord, we don't. We think we can trust ourselves more than we trust you, and Lord, may forgive us when we do that, and Lord, we know that uh, we can lean on you, Lord. We know that if we just seek you first, Lord, that's the way to go, and Lord, to be able to to truly seek you, Lord. Today we come to you, Lord. We, we're seeking you, your presence in a special way here, Lord, and we thank you already showed, showed us to, to us, Lord, your, just how, how close you are, and Lord, we, we, we seek you guidance in all we do, and Lord, we seek your uh, uh, knowledge, Lord, and we seek the the way that you'd have us to go as a church and as individuals. And Lord, 
We're so thankful today, Lord, for taking Miss Elizabeth and Wendy back with us there, Lord. And we, you know, Lord, you just answer prayers every day and every minute. And Lord, we we, we know there's still there's those here in, in the, our congregation, Lord, that's uh, that's got needs. And Lord, some of them don't want to uh, tell anybody about them, but Lord, you know them. And Lord, we pray for those. And Lord, we pray for those that are sick. And Lord, those that are in the hospitals. And Lord. Uh, they just need, need you there with them close, close, close. And Lord, we pray that you just draw close to them. Lord, that you might be with the doctors. And Lord, uh, be with families, Lord, that uh, their loved ones gone on to be with you. And Lord, uh, we, we just pray for those families. And Lord, we we pray for Brother Chad, Lord, as he comes. And Lord, as he has a message from you for us. And Lord, as you speak through him. Lord, we, we be open to, to you. To, uh, your word, Lord, as you as you talk to us through it, and Lord, we might take that, Lord, and be strengthened and encouraged, Lord. And Lord, as we think about our country, Lord, we pray for our leaders, and Lord, we just know that uh, as a country, as 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 it seems as a more more of a, people seem to be going away from you, Lord, and Lord, you you placed us in this community here, at Black Street, Lord, to. To reach out to those that are lost, and Lord, may we be doing that every day and every every minute. And Lord, we we again we just thank you in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Amen. Miss Ashley and George are going to help us with children's church this morning. And so, uh, children, if you'll let them get to the head of the line, we'll dismiss to children's church at this time. have your Bibles, let's turn together this morning to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 is where we are. If you have your bulletins, you'll notice in there that there is a study guide. If you'd like to use that to fill in the blanks and keep up with us as we go through the points this morning, we would appreciate you following along there. title of the message this morning is Jesus Lives for Us. And this will be the final message in a series that we have been doing, asking the question, what has Jesus done for you? And I know that sounds like an elementary question, but I believe that uh, it is uh, important for us to uh, know this Jesus who we worship, to know all about him and to know what the scripture teaches about this man. Uh, many people have a superficial understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, they think that holding a certain moral or ethical code uh, will get them into heaven. Others think that joining a church and being baptized will do it. Uh, but Scripture tells us that we must be born again. We must be made new in Jesus Christ. We must pass from death, the death of trespasses and sins, into new life found only through Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him. Our text today speaks to us about having passed from death into life. And it tells us what new life in Jesus should look like. As the Apostle Paul instructs us, uh, the early church also, he wants to draw a sharp contrast between those who are merely religious and those who have a true vibrant relationship with the risen Savior. Those who have experienced the new birth and walk in the newness of life. And we have seen examples of this as we celebrate uh, the ordinance of baptism. 
Uh, baptism is a picture of death to self, immersion in Christ, and resurrection to walk in the new life that Jesus gives to us. Our text today speaks of how this passing from death to life unfolds in the everyday life of the believer. Uh, the scripture, thankfully, is not only something for the past, but it is something for us to live by today, something for us to walk in today. And this concept of passing from death to life is the backdrop of what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 3. And I want to notice uh, us to notice together this morning uh, four things as we open the Word of God today. Uh, number one is contempt because of the new life. Contempt because of the new life. Uh, the Scripture says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Do not marvel if the world hates you. No doubt many of the early Christians encountered opposition from folks who had once thought that they were their friends. Uh, they were being persecuted, ostracized, and discriminated against because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Does any of that sound familiar today? No doubt it was taking place. And so John writes to them and he reminds them of the fellowship with God that means being at odds with the spirit of the world that we live in today. Just like it did living at odds against the spirit of the world that was present in that day. And I want to remind us this morning that belonging to Jesus means you are no longer of the world. You may be in the world. But you are no longer of the world. And thus you will ever be at odds with the world. In John's Gospel chapter 15, Jesus said in verse 18 and following, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The reason the spirit of the world is, such, is at such enmity with the spirit of that who lives inside of us is that our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord says that every person must submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're reminded according to Scripture that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as believers, we are called to live our lives that way. And the reason the message of the gospel is so odious to the world, it is this, that it says to those that are free or think they are free that we are really in bondage to sin without Christ. It says that man left to his own ways will end up in hell. That the gospel says that all that of us were born sinners and that we need to come humbly in repentance to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, seeking forgiveness of our transgressions and our sins. The gospel is offensive to the pride of man. If we are living examples of the gospel, it is not difficult to understand why the world would hate us. The world hates us because our new life in Christ is in such contrast to the life that others live. And when we are surrendered to the point of faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ and living in such a manner, then we are in the point or the place in our lives where our lives are a living conviction to those who we are around. And so don't be startled by the word and the words that the world hates us. 
In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we who are dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ and we have been born again and we have something to celebrate and something to be thankful for this morning. The question is, will we live in that realm? Will we live in that realm where we acknowledge that the world cannot understand the change that has taken place in us because of what Jesus has done? And this brings us to the next point that John addresses here in 1 John chapter 3. It is this, the characteristics of the new life. Uh, we don't need to dwell too long on the fact that we don't always fit in the world anymore because Christ has made a difference in us, but we do need to understand that there are some characteristics of the new life in Jesus Christ. And in these next verses, John points to the fundamental difference between the world and us. The one distinctive that we should possess that makes the difference in the life of the believer so that the world around us can see should be love. The evidence of a new life is love. Listen to what verses 14 and 15 say. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we have love for the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Do you want to know if you're really saved? Are you wondering if you really have eternal life? Are you curious as to what kind of evidence to look for in your life that substantiates your claim to be a Christian? Uh, many people who claim to be Christians, I want to say to you this morning, simply are not. Many people proclaim to belong to Jesus who do not. Many people who think that they are headed to heaven are not. How do we know that we have eternal life? The Scripture says clearly here in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is a love that is put inside of us for God's people. The word to know is used, by the way, 27 times in 22 verses in this book of 1 John. There are two different forms of the Greek word translated as know. One of them is, has to do with perceived knowledge. That is, uh, that we believe we know this. It's something that we understand by perception. The other one is to do with certain knowledge. The one that John is talking about here in verse 14 when he says we know that we have passed from death to life is one that is employed that is a certain knowledge that we know for definite, that we know absolutely, that we don't have any shadow of a doubt about what we know. John says this is the evidence that the life that God has put inside of us is there, that love abounds in us for the brethren, that we are part of the body of Christ. And so in other words, we could say today, no love, no life. It's just that simple. That's what verse 15 says. If you hate your brother and you are a murderer, you don't have eternal life dwelling inside of you. Uh, he gives us the positive. There's love for the brethren. And then he gives us the negative. He says, and if you hate someone else, even in your heart, and the spirit of hate is there, then there is not real love inside of you. 
You know, there's a message for all of us here this morning. Our attitudes about one another give evidence as to whether or not we really have Christ in our hearts. If we are saved, then we have eternal life. Then, we is, then His love will flow through us and in us, and there will be a desire to show that love to others. If we do not have love, then we do not have life itself. And how do we know what love is? We've been given the ultimate example of love, haven't we? What kind of love is the Scripture talking about here? Look at verse 16, 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love because He, that is Jesus, laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What kind of love should we have? A sacrificial love. The knowledge of love in Christ is what Paul is saying. If we have that love there, we're going to have a knowledge of that love. And that ultimate example is Christ. And we know that that love is there because Jesus just demonstrated it to us. And He demonstrated it by laying down His life. Love is more than words. And by the way, if it wasn't more than words, then God could have just said He loved us and done nothing about it, couldn't He? Love is more than a feeling. God could have just felt sorry for us and we would still be headed to hell. Love is a determination of the will that manifests itself in concrete action. Don't tell me you don't love me and not do anything about it. Romans chapter 5 verse, 8, 5 verse 8 reminds us, but God proves His own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God has a kind of love for us that takes action, that it proves that He loves us. John chapter 15 verse 13, no one has greater love than this that someone would lay down his life for their friends. From before the foundations of the earth, the will of God was set to love His supreme creation, that's you and I, humanity. When His creations separated themselves from Him and condemned themselves to hell because of sin, God manifested His love in a tangible way and Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for my sins and for yours. So catch what John is saying. It can be bundled up like this. Here's how we know that we have passed from death to life. We have love for one another just like Jesus loves us. And we put that love into practice. That's the next thing that shows up. The practice of love. Verses 17 and 18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees a brother in need and shuts up in his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do we really have love if we see someone that has a need and we don't have a desire to meet the need of our brother? John says two things about that practical love. Practical love is sacrificial. The love of Jesus was sacrificial. So sacrificial that He laid down His life for us. He paid a debt that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He paid a debt that He did not owe. Even as Jesus laid down His life for us, we are to do the same for others. Verse 17 tells us that if we love God, if the love of God is in us, the question of helping others is a foregone conclusion. 
It's something that we do automatically, that we have a desire to. The love of Christ is not stingy. It is not selfish. It is not cold. It is not uncaring. It does not seek its own. It always looks out for others. One of the reasons many Christians do not help others, by the way, is when they see a need, they can't meet that need because they have consumed everything that God has blessed them with themselves personally. All of us love our families and would be willing to sacrifice for whatever necessary to make sure that their needs are met. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 46, it says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And so the sacrificial element of God's love is not seen solely in the fact that Jesus died for us, but in the fact that He laid down His life for us while we were still in rebellion against God. What does that say about His love? What does that say about the kind of love that He has for others? If we have eternal life, we will practice sacrificial love. You know, sometimes for us, sacrificial love means that we don't spend all that we make so that when we see a need, we can meet it in the hearts and lives of others. Also, there's a, a practical love. That love that practices the love that is tangible. When we claim to have the love of Christ, but that love never expresses itself tangibly, we invite the criticism that we are hypocrites. And we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. In John's day, even as in ours, there were many people who were filled with a spiritual platitudes but lacked practical action. In other words, they talked about it, but they didn't do anything with it. James chapter 2, verse 15 says this, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Hey, uh, Mason, I see you got a flat tire. I hope that works out for you. God bless you and have a great day. Oh, did you remember to put air in the spare? That's a modern day equivalent, isn't it? When we see the evidence of love, when that love is in action, it is a love that Jesus showed us. Think about it. He showed His love tangibly. And church, we need to be a people who shows the love of God tangibly. And I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, you know, if, if we were going to show the love of God tangibly, we could do that all day, every day, 24-7. We'd all be broke. We'd all be out of town, uh, out, of, out, of, out of work. We wouldn't out of time. There's a lot of opportunities. Amen. But the Scripture also says that there are good works that are created for us to do and they were created for us as brothers and sisters in Christ and that God created those opportunities for each and every one of us and for us solely. And so if the work of God is going to get done, then we must be about the work of God. Our opportunity is to take the opportunities that He has given to us and trust Him to meet the needs. I bet if I gave opportunity this morning, uh, there are those here today that would say that they have at times given when they thought they couldn't give and God met the need anyway. There are those here today that could say they gave the last of what they had and then God gave to them and filled the void or God provided for them or when they took a hold of the idea that God can 
outgive and outsacrifice whatever we can do, then they understood the truth that God shows His love tangibly. Number three, I want us to see this morning that there is confidence in that new life. Confidence in that new life. Look at what verses 19 through 22 say of 1 John chapter 3. And by this we know that we are of the truth. Do you want to know this morning that you're of the truth? And shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Some of you need to hear that this morning. God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do these things that are pleasing in His sight. Now there are two areas where we are assured of confidence. Number one, or letter A, is confidence that He knows us. This scripture that John just gave us here, he talks about this word again, no. And I want to remind you that John is not using the perception. He's saying for definite, for sure, he knows us. This is the assurance of love in our life. And that assurance brings us a great peace. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. The love of God flowing through us gives us assurance that we belong to him. It's the chief characteristic of those who are part of the family of God. And when we have His assurance and confidence, confidence that enables us to live as overcomers in this life. John showed me a little thing that read this morning. I didn't even realize it was going to tie into the, to the, to the sermon this morning. It was a little uh, blunders and bleeps like that people had put in the church bulletin. I think one of them said... Uh, there's going to be a small group for people who lack confidence Tuesday night at 7. Please come in the back door. (laughs) You know, when we have confidence, we don't feel like backdoor Christians, do we? When we have confidence and we know that the love of God is there in our hearts, uh, we feel like the people of God that have been adopted, that we have been taken into the family. But what about those times when we don't feel like we belong? What about those times when our fears begin to get the best of us and the devil causes us to doubt our salvation, but God's love, where is it? The original language, the key word here translated this confidence is to be translated courage, assurance, boldness, or fearlessness. His confidence comes into our hearts. In this context, John is telling us that even when our hearts condemn us, when we don't believe in our own hearts or the spirit of fear has gotten inside of us or if we don't like, uh, feel like God loves us or we don't feel like we're always saved or there's a doubt about our salvation there, we can still have confidence in our salvation because the God who is in our hearts is greater than our fears. He is greater than our doubts. Our salvation by the way, after all, is not based upon how we feel, but upon the faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Hmm. John is saying you can have confidence not based on how you feel, but based upon who your faith is in. Our salvation is certain that we can have confidence that He knows us because He is greater than our fears. Don't let your heart deceive you. 
Don't trust your heart. Trust in God. Number two, be confident that He hears us. Not only does He know us, but we can be confident that He hears us. He reminds us that we have the confidence that He knows us and He hears our prayers. This word also carries with it the idea of boldness and the ability to speak out without reservation. Now this is not to be presumptive, but it is for us to understand in reverence that we can come to Him in prayer and we can ask for the needs that we have and to understand that He has a desire to meet those needs. John says, because your salvation is fixed Because it was dependent upon Him and not on you, if you have been born again, you are walking in fellowship with Him, then you can ask what you will and He will do it. Wow. A word of caution is needed here this morning. Notice two things about verse 22. I want to read that verse again. And whatever you ask... We receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Notice the context. We can be certain of our relationship with God because of the evidence of His love in our lives, which necessitates walking in fellowship with Him. In other words, uh, when we're in Christ, then we're also called to walk in fellowship with Him. You cannot expect to receive what you ask from Him if you're not walking in fellowship with Him. Now some of you are saying, what about grace? Well, there's grace. Grace to cover our sins. But the Scripture is clear. When we know that we are in sin and we have unconfessed sin in our heart heart and in our lives, there's still consequences for that sin. And if you are walking in fellowship with Him, if you are under the Lordship, your request will be keeping with His and you will be able to ask what you desire. John chapter 14 verse 13 says this, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so the context clearly states that what we must ask or what we ask must be within the scope of the Father's will. Dear Lord, I'm fixing to rob this bank. Would you help me to get out the door alive? That's not in the context of God's will, is it? No. That's not a prayer that God's going to answer even for the believer. Secondly, notice this last phrase in verse 2. Because we keep His commands and do those things we are pleasing in His sight. Listen, God wants to bless us. He wants to answer the prayers that we have. But He also asks us to be children who follow His commands and follow His Word. And I think this message has been largely left behind in the overflowing or overpreached grace of society today. God still expects us to be obedient children. And His grace is there to help us to be obedient. But He expects us also to be, to to walk in power and to be obedient to Him. The word because here makes a conditional promise. We can have confidence that He will answer our prayers. But listen, you can't have confidence if you've been disobedient to Him and you haven't been walking with Him and you've been ignoring your spiritual life and then all of a sudden you need something and you say, Lord, I I need, I need, I want. God is not our go and fetch it, boy. Our ability to boldly stand at His throne and to make requests and have those requests answered is dependent upon our obedience to His commands. Many people wonder why they get no answers. Why their prayers seem to be bumping off the ceiling. They wonder why they don't see God actively working in their lives. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. 
God is under no obligation to answer the prayers of His disobedient children. What are His commandments? And what are pleasing in His sight? He tells us in verse 23, the last point This is this, that commandments that He gives us for the new life. Look what verse 23 says. And this is His commandment. That we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You know, it really is rather simple. And we make it more difficult than it is. He asks us to believe in His name, the Son of Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Two things He tells us here, broken down this way, is very easy for us to remember. We need to trust. Trust in the name of the Son of God. That's the beginning part of our relationship. There is no pleasing God without faith. And faith comes by trust. What does it mean to trust in the name of Jesus, the Son of God? It means to accept the true Accept the truth of God's Word. Accept that Jesus stands for love and for life. It means to place all of our hope for all of eternity in who Jesus is and what He has done. The kind of belief that John is talking about here causes us to trust Jesus for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins, and for eternal life. To forsake all other hope except for hope in Jesus Christ alone. This saving faith and this in His first command is required. The second command is naturally sequential. With trust, then there should also come obedience. Obey. Obey. Living out the love of Christ. And let me tell you, you can't get these in the wrong order. I know a lot of people today that that think that the church should be a social action, and I think that it should be in many ways, but the church that is socially active without trust in Jesus Christ has the cart before the horse. And so we must obey living out the love of Christ, and that love can only be in our hearts if Christ is there through trust. If you really know Him, if you have really trusted Him, then you live like Him. And so He calls us not to be hypocrites. Don't profess one thing and practice another. If you have really trusted Him, then our actions will demonstrate it. Our actions will demonstrate it. I want to ask you this morning, as we conclude this series talking about what has Jesus done for us, do you really know this Jesus in your heart? Is the evidence of His love visible in your life? Scripture says that there would be tangible evidence. Have we trusted Him completely? Or are there areas in our life where we're still keeping the closets closed? Oh, we've let Him in the living room, but God, don't go to the bedroom. Don't look in that cupboard over there. Are you walking in obedience to Him on a daily basis? Are we the same person 
in public that we are in private. Is Jesus in us? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Father, I thank you today that as John has reminded us that there is a reminder that Jesus not only died upon the cross for us while we were yet sinners, but He lives for us today. And that we have been called to follow Him in that new life. A life that is not always respected by the world that we live in, but a life that is new. Father, remind us today that we cannot do that without love and trust and faith in You. And Lord, help us to humbly yield ourselves to You. Lord, I pray this morning, if there be those under the sound of my voice, that Lord, You would speak to their hearts today.